It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Harry Winks right to the last. Deli Alli. To Hugo Lloris. And he saved it. And the bounce. Welcome to The Last Word on Spurs. We hope you're keeping safe and well. If you're listening to the show for the very first time, you can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, on Audioboom, or across all major audio platforms. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, at Last Word on Spurs. We're on Facebook and Instagram too. And we're back. Uh, weekly shows now. I mean, some will find it therapeutic. Others will find it really painful. It's been an interesting summer so far. I've been waiting to get these guys back on this show I would say I think I've had a good six months away on a paternity leave, you could say. So I've enjoyed having a break. But um, my break is no longer. It's cut short. I'm back in the hot seat to return to all things Tottenham Hotspur. And delighted to have joining me. I've got the wonderful guys from the Tottenham Hotspur Trust. I've got Anthula, I've got Martin, and I've got Cap joining me. Guys, firstly, how are we all? Anthula, how are you? I'm not bad, thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Martin, Cap, lovely to have you guys back on the show. Martin, how you been? Yeah, you're not too bad. It's been uh, very busy and very challenging, I think. <laughs> very true, very true. And Kat, you surviving? Oh, golden, Ricky, what can I say? <laughs> Loving life. Never been better, has it? Oh, dear. It's never, never a dull moment, is it, at the moment, I tell no, you? No, no, never a dull moment. Quite crazy, because obviously I think we haven't caught up guys for the last, I think, would like to say between six to eight months. Obviously, I've had a little one since, so I feel like so much has gone on in the world of Tottenham. I think it's only now that I've kind of come back into the room to think, God, what is going on with Spurs at the moment? What is quite going on? There's so much to review, and we'll be doing our best in the next hour to kind of bring everyone up to speed on the trust and what you guys do, if everyone doesn't know already. But um, let's start with pretty much, I think... The right question to start with here, and this is really a question to all of you. And uh, Martin, I'll start with you first. I mean, as I said, it's been a while since we've caught up. Um, 
I want to know you for at the moment as a supporter, taking that Tottenham Hotspur supporters trust hat off for a moment. How do you feel about the club at the moment? The tricky one, because it's so difficult to take the trust hat off because you're working in, you know, although, although we haven't been at grounds, we probably have more work to do in the last 18 months than we have in, in the seven or eight years that I've been involved. Uh, and it, it's been pretty challenging and it's been pretty tough. So that, that covers your relationship. Uh, and I think if you talk to most supporter reps around the country, they'll say that the kind of, it's almost like looking behind the curtain at the magic show thing, isn't it? That you, you kind of see what's really going on and it takes some of the magic away. I think as a supporter, it, it's an odd one. Uh, I said it is coloured a little bit by what's happening with the trust anyway, but it's an odd situation uh, in that we have been physically away for so long. Uh, and I think it would be quite difficult to sort of have this connection anyway. I think that for me, you know, the last two years have seen a gradual dismantling of something that was pretty special that we had since the days of, uh, of Pochettino. And they were going back into our ancient history a little bit here uh, as well. So, um, you know, there's a lot of new faces. There's a lot of change. Um, I'm finding it difficult, I've got to say, to kind of, I'm usually at this stage thinking, you know, first game of the season, see your mates again, you know, maybe we'll win something this year. I'm actually finding it quite difficult to connect at the moment. And that is partly because of a lot of the stuff that's gone on with the club over the last 18 months. I agree. I think I say this is probably one of the most testing periods I've known as being a Spurs fan. I'm sure um, you guys can resonate with that. I mean, Kat, for someone that, you know, you was on our Love Sports shows, always formed such a positive vibe about the club, you know, even in maybe some of our darkest testing times. And um, how do you feel over the last 18 months, uh, your support has been? Is it, is it, is it wavering? I mean, how would you describe that relationship between you and the club as a supporter, first and foremost? Oh, God, Ricky, I feel that I'm going to let the side down. I feel that I should be smiley, happy cats. And actually, I, I'm really on Martin's page. I need to find my mojo. So if you can help me find that, I'd, be, I'd really appreciate it. I, I can't remember a time I felt this disconnected. And I think that is because physically, I haven't been to a game since Leipzig in March 2020. It's a long time ago now. We've been through such a lot as individuals, personally, with our families, with our friends, and with our work and our professional lives. And then, obviously, with football, since we were all at last at games, I think all of us have changed in some way as a result of the pandemic, um, whether that's learning to be resilient on your own, whether that's, you know, learning to socialise in a different way or fill your time in different ways. So I think clubs have got to work harder to get us back. And I just as all the stuff that's been going on at Tottenham, I don't, I don't feel like they're connecting with me enough at this moment in time. And, you know, there's a combination of things, isn't it? That being away from the ground, the football was turgid under Mourinho, let's be honest. Then we had a fairly shambolic search for a new manager. We had a pretty slow transfer window. Some of the decisions that the board have taken over the past 18 months, let's just mention maybe furlough and the European Super League, have not exactly enamoured us to them or made me feel that I'm proud of my club. Do, do you know what I mean? And so... Uh, at this moment in time, normally, I'm really looking forward to the start of the season, ridiculously optimistic, sure we're going to get a trophy. Why the hell can't we have a title slant? And right now, I'm just not feeling any of that. So I'm hoping that by the end of this hour, you can give me some therapy, Ricky. And I oh, well. Because this doesn't sit well with me. I've been a first fan since 81. Yep. And I've always had blind faith. And this time, I'm just, I'm tired. Mm. And I'm a bit drained. And I'm... Mm, a bit meh 
if that makes sense. I think we're all hoping for some kind of reinvigoration, some new energy that's going to enlighten us over the next course of a season to come. And Fuller, it's the first time we've had you on um, as part of the Trust. So thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure to have you on. We enjoyed having you on for your debut last season. Um, What's your thoughts on where we stand with the club from a from a supporter perspective? I mean, whenever I've seen uh, your tweets in the past, there's always been an element of trying to get behind the team, trying to see a vision as to what the club's trying to do. Um, is that testing right now for yourself? Yeah, I'm sorry. It's going to be a full house from us. I think I, I, I resonate with what Kat and Martin said. I feel, I feel quite disconnected and I don't know if that's because of the pandemic. I've been really busy with work at the hospital and also... I, the, you know what's happened in the with the club over the pandemic period or if it's a bit of both I don't know but I'm I'm really struggling at the moment I think I think it might change once we get back in I'm, I'm dying to get back into the ground um, but I don't know right now I'm, I'm really struggling to motivate myself for the new season I've, I've, I'm just not as interested as I usually am and and that really upsets me as well so yeah Sticking with you, Anthula. I mean, it's been a summer of change for Spurs eventually. 72 days later, eventually, of course, we had the sacking of Jose Mourinho and we then finally appointed a new head coach in Nuno Espirito Santo. Did it concern you just how public that search became? And are you happy with the end result in Nuno? Yeah, I mean, that was pretty embarrassing, wasn't it? I think the whole thing in the media was so embarrassing going from one manager to another, to another, to another. I'm not even very convinced that Nuno was high on the list. And that worries me. Uh, but as always, I will always get behind a new manager, you know, until they until they prove to not be good. I'm always going to get behind them. And I did like his football at Wolves. So I think um, I will obviously support him. But I'm really struggling to get behind a manager that I don't fully believe that the club wanted as as top choice or even like second or third based on how it played out in the media. So I'm struggling, but I obviously will will get behind him and be very I'll try and be as positive as I can. Um, and we'll see what the new season brings. I'm very much of the mindset now. We'll just see what happens. I can't actually get excited or motivated for it, if that makes sense. It's true. No, I do think there's an element now, Spurs fans. I mean, I know, of course, the transfer window seems to be at the moment the uh, the front point of where everyone is basing their judgment onto what the hopes are and aspirations are for the season. But I think we were hoping maybe over the course of the summer that we were going to maybe potentially fall back in love with the with the team and the squad and with the, you know with some of the changes that we've made internally, which we'll be discussing. And I just wonder, like I say, it's interesting because you feel like you haven't really had a respite and we're back in it again. It's just such a bizarre uh, turn of events. But Martin, even at one point, I know I actually directly messaged you about this. and I said, fans expressing their concern and worry so much that one of the candidates led to, you know, fans actually engaging with um, the top lots of supporters trust to say, no, we're not really keen on this candidate. Of course, Gennaro Gattuso being that person. Do you feel, Martin, that we've, we've lost that connection between the fans and these current owners, who you guys know very well. I mean, you meet with them, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it's quarterly or maybe even more than that. I mean, what do you think on that basis of that question? I think there is a bit of a rift. And I mean, I think it's important to say uh, as well that we, we we always try and we've largely been successful uh, in engaging with the club uh, over the last uh, eight or nine years. Um, but, you know, we have the conversations, even if the conversations don't necessarily come out in the way that we would always like them to uh, and I think that's what people expect us to do they expect us to put 
you know, friend feeling forward. We've always been very careful about doing anything on field because, you know, kind of that way lies madness in a way. We said, oh, actually, no, we want this left back and not that left back. And we want this winger and we want, you know, maybe can we have the wingers tucking in a bit more or whatever. We're never going to get in to that conversation because everyone's got a different opinion on it. I think that, that the strength of feeling over Gattuso was so strong that we had to say, you know, and we were kind of fairly subtle about it, but we had to say to the club, we said in public, that, you know, we've passed that feeling on. We've said that fans are concerned about it. And, of course, that it opens a bit of a can of worms as well because, you know, how, how much influence should supporters have on, on you know, on choosing a manager? Now, some people might say, well, you know, look at the last one. And, I mean, you know, I wasn't personally, I, I've never been a fan of Mourinho, but as I feel I said, once somebody's appointed, you're not going to start having a go. Uh, at the person who's the manager of the club. So um, I think that, you know, that, that ties up with that kind of public, it was a shambolic search for a manager uh, as well. It was, it was an embarrassment, really, uh, the, 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 way things, um, the way things panned out. And I think that, you know, something had to be said that the strength of feeling was up there with the sort of strength of feeling we saw over things like furlough and the European Super League when, when the rumours about Gattuso came up. And, and I think that, you know, some of that was about things that he was reported to have said, but also some of it was about, and we'll probably come on to this a bit later, about the style of football as well, because Daniel Levy had made this very public statement about returning to the club's DNA. And people were saying, well, how does this fit into that as well? So I think that there, there is probably more of a gap now between supporters and, and the board than there has been. And one of the things that we'd always said to the board is that, that fans do recognise that on the business side, they've made a pretty good job of things. But more and more fans are now saying, well, that might be the case, but actually I don't go to watch the accounts. I don't go to watch a business. I go to watch a football team and it's supposed to be a sport. It's supposed to be entertainment. And I think there are question marks about the football decisions uh, that are being made. And I think that's leading to people questioning the general direction that the club's board's taking us in. So I think there's a bigger gap probably between the fans uh, and the board than there was. And I just go back to what I said right at the start. You know, you think back to that last season at White Hart Lane, the sense of togetherness there was. Uh, and there hasn't always been at Spurs. There's been a lot of rifts and arguments between fans and different boards over the years. You know, in the times that I can remember since I started supporting us in, in the late 1970s as well. Um, but, you know, that, that in, in, in two years, it's almost that, that, that feel-good factor, that togetherness has been systematically dismantled. And you have to look at the people that are in charge and say, well, you know, who's responsible for that then? You know, if you're responsible for when it's going well, you're also responsible for when it isn't going well. So I think that that's probably where most fans are now, that there are more people questioning you know, what, what is the strategy of the board and what is the connection? Does the board actually understand what the fans want? Uh, and I think that they, they need to take notice of that, but they've not got a great record of reading the rumour board, unfortunately. I agree. Yeah, I mean, listen, everything you said there, Martin, I, I really do echo. And, you know, what I do want to come on to is the fact that, you know, the backlash from that particular candidate I mentioned there, Gennaro Cattuso, came from Fabio Paratidi's recommendation, who actually joined the club as a managing director. Now, the appointment of Paratidi was effectively meant to, in a way, see Daniel Levy preparing to delegate of the oversight of football matters to an influential new figure. Um, what have you made, Martin, of the new appointment? And is this an indication for you that Daniel Levy has listened to those fans who think that it is best for him to stick to the business side of the club rather than the footballing aspects? That has always been one of the most talked about debates among Spurs fans. It has, yeah. And I mean, we alluded to this in, in the last answer, didn't we? I mean, uh, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, is he, 
I don't. Is he the managing director? Is he the director of football? Have they invented another title? I, don't know. I mean, look, talking to a lot of people and talking to a lot of the, the, the journalists as well, that Paratici's appointment was viewed as, you know, this guy's the lightning conductor. So, you know, we'll say that he's in charge of the football side. And then if it goes wrong, it's his fault. And people don't don't start shouting at Daniel Levy and, uh, and, and the board, which might be slightly unfair, but there might be an element of truth in that as well. It is what people have been talking about. And I can't think a couple of years ago, the board divided their the kind of the way that the executive board works into the football side that was looked after by one group of people who reported into Daniel and the business side that was looked after by, by another group of people. So you could say that this is a way uh, of, you know, of going in that, in that same direction. I think the doubts are, again, Daniel made a very unusual statement and it showed that they had taken on board some of the criticism uh, that, 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 that was being voiced by the fans when he talked about having lost our DNA, taking our eye off the ball and needing to rediscover our DNA. Now, you know, Paratici seemed a strange appointment, first of all, because the style of football that he seems to be associated with and people can read too much into, you know, formations and wherever and where people work, you've got to deal with what you've got. But he didn't seem to particularly fit with that. And some of the choices that Paratici is said to have been made don't seem to forget, fit with that as well. But, you know, it, it could be a positive thing if people are focusing on the football side of it. I think the big question, well, the two big questions are, if you know anything about how this club is run, uh, that Daniel is all over every detail. You know, famously, you know, when we were building the stadium, it was even like, you know, the lift buttons, you know, or whatever, or the, the, the kind of banisters on the stairways or whatever is over every detail. Is he really going to step back? But also what what are people what do people mean when they say those two things are separated out? Because when it comes down to it, if Paratici identifies somebody and says we've got to buy him. That that figure that it takes to buy that player has got to be signed off. And that's only ever going to be signed off by one person. And that's Daniel Levy, or, you know, effectively the executive board, but it's Daniel as well. So when people talk about the two sides being separated and does Daniel know as much about football as he thinks he does, or as people think that he thinks he does as well, or whatever, it, 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 it might all be fine. It might be that we are doing a little bit more delegation, but in the end, you know, it's about who signs the checks, you know, who decides what wage we're going to pay a player. And I think that's been as big a thing with us, uh, you know, possibly bigger than transfer fees over the year as well. We, we, we haven't paid the wages that some of our competitor clubs are, are paying. So I'm not sure how much separation you, you can actually you can actually expect, really. And it, it will be, I guess, you know, if I was a journalist looking at this and not a Spurs fan, I'd say, well, this is going to be an interesting story to see how that how that pans out. As a fan, it kind of worries me because it's like, you know, well, what direction are we going in and how are we doing that? There seems to be. A, a bit of kind of chaos there at the club at the moment. So, but you know, it, who knows what's really going on behind the scenes? The signals that have been coming out, it's very difficult to see which way they're going. But I, I think there's a chance that Paratici is the lightning conductor, but he seems like a smart guy. So, you know, it may be, and he wouldn't be the first one who says, you know what, I think I might be being set up here a bit. So I've had enough. Let's hope that doesn't happen again. Joe makes me laugh, Martin, is that the uh, the response every time we see a lot of the Spurs journalists put out that he's on his phone. I mean, he could be doing anything on that phone. He could be, could be playing Candy Crush for all we know, but they, they get absolutely carried away that the fact he's on his phone all the time. And listen, 
Let's hope that these uh, deals are coming in and they are all master strokes from the man. Um, and to, just to ask you your opinion, because, you know, we've seen Levy previously employ um, several people under him to kind of manage, you know, the, the footballing aspects of the club. And we've seen the likes of Damien Camoli, Franco Baldini, Frank Arneson, David Pleat, even if I go that far back. And obviously, of course, we've got Steve Hitch in there serving as well as the club's effective head of recruitment. Interesting that you bring Paratici to work alongside him. And again, there's been rumours in the past that, you know, Hitchy knew very little about Paratici's appointment. And that's, again, another subject for a different show. But do you actually believe that this relationship can actually flourish, given the failures in the past with this kind of setup under this current board? See, I have the same worries as Martin when it comes to the fact that I think it's very easy for Levy to use one of these guys as a full guy. Um, but equally... When we haven't had a director of football, we've gone 500 days without a single transfer under Levy when he's been on his own. So I think there is an element of a director of football can shift players out and get players in. Whether or not those are the right players is an entirely different question. Um, so I think in terms of transfer window, I think it works better with a director of football uh, just because of the way Levy conducts business isn't very effective on his own when it is just left up to him. But equally, I just think he's... So he has so much control and wants to be in control of so much at the club that I could easily see the relationship going going south. So it's very difficult to to decide which way it's going to go at this moment in time. But if it does go south, you just know that he's going to, you know, Patrice is going to be the the full the full full guy. So you know, we'll see. Time, we'll have time to will tell on it. Time will <laughs> me tell. Another you... Paul Mitchell. Well, exactly. If I had that crystal ball, I forgot that one, Martin. There you go. Paul Mitchell, another one to add to the list. If I had that crystal ball, Kat, let's come round to you. It's probably a subject that really no one wants to touch upon now because it, that's for old news. But the beef, you know, we haven't had the chance to really cover this off with you um, in the time, obviously, since what's happened in the world and just, uh, like I say, it's been crazy. But, um, you know, the European Super League. Now, at the time of this break, and I've got to be honest with you, I had my absolute hands full. The baby just arrived. Football-wise, I wasn't even in the right room. But I'll be honest with you. And I'm thinking the hell is this about? It's European Super League. Are we really serious about this? And obviously we saw the absolute chaos this was taking the footballing world, which unfortunately Spurs are one of those members of. And, you know, as a as a trust that you are, that you meet with the board on a fairly regular basis. And I think it's one of the things that, you know, you guys would, you'd hope that if they were even considering or thinking about such a thing, they would bring that to your attention. But um, of course, you know, your thoughts on it now, Kat, you know, what are we quite a number of months on? Um, Feelings on that, previous opinions on that topic for you, have they changed at all? Can you even understand how that even came about? Are you concerned in the future? This could once again rise its head? Yeah, massively. Um, to be honest, we've been anticipating something like this for at least a couple of years. So we'd actually called a members meeting, which Kev Miles, who's the chief exec of the Football Supporters Association, had come and spoken at, at our you know, physical home at Cannon Street. Um, and we, we knew that something was uh, being cooked up. And so we, of course, as you would expect, uh, canvas fan opinion and obviously were very connected into the national and European supporter movement. So uh, we were well aware of the potential issues around closed competition, meritocracy, et cetera, et cetera. And we'd written to the club on at least two separate occasions to outline six major principles that we were behind which would basically be against any form of breakaway European Super League for the reasons that we later outlined and the main ones that I've mentioned there. We also raised it in actual board-to-board -board meetings, so physically in front of them, uh, and they, let's just say, were economical with the truth. 
in that they denied having any discussions at all uh, about this. Now, it's not just a case that they didn't, they weren't truthful with us in those meetings. It's the wider point is that we were taking a fan opinion in there. It wasn't just Cat Martin and Thuba's opinion. It was a national fan movement and international fan movement opinion into that room, which was against all the kind of things that the European Super League would lead to. And they chose not to listen to any of that, to dismiss that and to deny that they were ever in discussions about it. So uh, we had a tip off on the Sunday lunchtime that this was now live basically and happening that day. And from then on in, um, I think the next, well, certainly the next 72 hours, probably the next week were an absolute whirlwind. And as you said, you had your hands full, obviously. We've had our hands full over, over the last 18 months. You know, look, we're fans and we volunteered and we stood for election on a, a voluntary trust board um, with the exception of Anthony that we'll come on to later. We're, we're not medical experts. We're not part of Public Health England. We weren't expecting to have to run a trust in the pandemic. So the whole thing has just been... Yeah, you know, really challenging for all of us. Everything's been uncharted territory. Everything's been, you know, trying to make decisions and not shirking your responsibility, trying to get as much facts as you can. And it's been tough. And there's been a lot of stuff that the club hasn't been able to avoid over the last 18 months as a result of the pandemic. And there's been a lot of learning and a lot of pressure on them too. But they did not have to join the European Super League in the middle of the pandemic. So the timing was just awful. The decision was disgraceful. And yeah, I mean, obviously our position is exactly as it was then. That it, it was, I was ashamed that our club was part of that. Uh, I have since been buoyed. Um, we have a survey that we've done and the results are coming out on Wednesday. And we asked quite a lot of questions around the Super League. And I have been buoyed that not only was that our thoughts, uh, we thought there might have been a school of opinion that was, yeah, I don't agree, but if Tottenham's in it, then, you know, we have to go with it. But the survey results are backing up that that wasn't the case, that the vast majority of people were against it as a point of principle. So, so there we are. But I think the European Super League, we should now be grateful for, because without that, we wouldn't have seen the government's fan-led review launch. And that is a real opportunity to finally embed fan voices at the heart of not only our club, but at the heart of football. And make no mistake, without the European Super League fiasco, that wouldn't have happened. But it was crazy times. I was on a Zoom with Boris Johnson, which was utterly crazy. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's a pleasure being on a Zoom with you, Vicky, which we are now. But sitting on a Zoom with number 10 Downing Street was absolutely hysterical. Uh, but, you know, fair, fair play in the end. Uh, they did come out on the right side of the argument and give us a lot of backing. And, you know, we wouldn't have got there without the government intervening and they, we wouldn't have got to that position without every fan, more or less, up and down the country speaking out against the Super League. It was a fantastic response. And I think it really mobilised fans and I think it really gave them confidence um, that we can have some influence when we all pull together. So... That's the European Super League. Martin, I don't know if you want to add anything on that because you were heavily involved in this as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think everybody had to put in so much work and I think that it, it kind of sounds a bit almost making it personal, but I think, you know, echoing Kat's anger that, you know, they didn't have to do this as well as all the rest of it. And it came at the end of so much, uh, uh, you know, kind of extra work and extra challenge and, and the kind of issues that people were having because of the pandemic and all sorts of other things. But I think it's worth emphasising that the... It's just the strength of opposition to the Super League because the worry was 
that you know enough fans would say as Kat said you know like, maybe I don't like the idea but we have to be there and this it, it was on the same level as the as the the kind of outpouring of opposition we had over furlough right at the start of, of this kind of extraordinary period where people you know and and this was across all of the so-called big six clubs as well supporters were saying that the pyramid system in English football is something that we value and they could see that the Super League was going to destroy English football as we knew it um you know so that 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 level of opposition I think was was quite was quite heartening for me in terms of the reasons that people did that as well um and and it's changed a lot of people around I mean that you know the Premier League itself uh, what, and, and the Premier League as a business is one of the most successful businesses that this country has ever produced. And they were going to destroy that as well. Uh, uh, so, it, you know, that those six clubs have now put themselves at odds with the other 14 in the Premier League. And a lot of attitudes within the Premier League have changed. A lot of attitudes within UEFA have changed. You know, UEFA, who have always refused to talk directly to fans, asked to speak to the fan groups from the six and the so-called big six. Now, you know, UEFA are playing political games as well. We all know that. But that, that, that's a level of how things have changed. And that's the scale of the misjudgment that these clubs made when, when they went with this. But so, it, you know, it, it was a bad thing and it might come back in a different form uh, again because none of these clubs really think they got it wrong. Let's not make any mistake about that. Um, I think their apologies were kind of along the lines of we're sorry that we upset you by making a decision we didn't, you didn't agree with. Uh, not really seeing the level of opposition that was there. But I think that there is something to build on. And for all that football is distorted by, you know, clubs being owned by countries and all the rest of it, people value things like the pyramid in English football. They value uh, people being able to get on in competitions because of what they've done on the pitch and not just what they've done off the pitch as well. So they're, they're all things to build on. Um, and I think the other encouraging bit of support was that a lot of people said, well, you know, that, you know, the match going fans, what, what UEFA called or what the, the Super League called the legacy fans, you know, that the old fashioned kind of dinosaurs, uh, they, they will all be against it. But the international fans and the younger fans, especially, uh, they'll all be in favour of it. Well, the younger fans were massively against it. And international fans, you know, we, we had people getting in touch with us and we've had this over the years. We had a similar thing with the 13th game route that a lot of fans overseas have said, well, that, that's not the English Premier League that I like, that I watch. That's not the sport that I've become hooked on. Uh, and that's not where I want to see my club uh, compete as well. So all of these assumptions about who will back this kind of, you know, brave new world of, of the Super League and, uh, you know, future football, if you like, have been really challenged. And I said, I'm, you know, the unfortunate thing is that, you know, I don't really think that in the boardrooms of the top six that they've actually registered that because they're so convinced that they're always right and so far ahead of everybody else that they don't even bother to find out where the room is, let alone read it. So, The government's fan-led review into the way our clubs and our game is run has taken up a huge amount of the THST's time and effort over the last few months. The submission sets out a clear set of proposals for improving the governance structure at large Premier League football clubs, with particular reference to Tottenham Hotspur. The focus is on improving the influence of supporters at board level. How confident are you that all of the suggestions you have put forward will be accepted by the football club? I'll start and then I'll pass on to Martin. He really has to be ahead of this work stream for us. And I, I can't say enough how much time he's put in and how diligent and dedicated he has been to this. So I'm probably going to embarrass him, but yes. you know, along, alongside a very demanding day job, he really stepped up to this. Uh, and also thank you to our members who have formed part of a subgroup 
uh, their corporate lawyers and governance experts who've really, really helped us. This, this isn't Janet and John stuff. This is detailed work. So uh, yet again, something else that we needed to deal with. Um, there are two submissions that are going on at the moment, Ricky. There's um, one that we placed uh, after an oral evidence session. We followed it with a written submission actually into Tracy Crouch and the review panel at the fan-led review. Uh, and that focuses on uh, a structure and uh, a, a way of governance moving forward that could work at Tottenham, but also uh, work throughout the rest of the game. So that's one submission. There's a second submission, which was an appendix of the first submission, and that is the specific proposal that we put into the board of Tottenham Hotspur, specifically about governance at Tottenham. So um, there's overlap, obviously, in the two. Um, Martin, may if you can drill down and, and do a quick overview as to what we've asked for at Tottenham. There are areas of commonality between our submission and our way forward and the commitment that Tottenham made in the aftermath of the European Super League, where they promised um, a club advisory panel and a fan director on the board. So there's, a, there's an overlap there with what we're asking for, um, but there are also some subtle differences. So Martin, do you just want to quickly explain what we've actually asked for at Tottenham? Can you quickly explain particle physics? Hospital pass, sorry. Um, I, I mean, I think the thing with this is that, that a lot of it is really detailed and, and people's eyes glaze over when you mentioned governance. But I think the Super League was one of the things that brought it to a head where people said, you know, how do we stop this stuff happening before? What all of the work is based on is that the only, if you want to call it stakeholders, you want to use that business language that don't really get a proper representation at board level are the kind of vast majority of fans. Now, we know that the people that run football clubs in, in many cases are fans as well. But when they are making decisions in the boardroom, they're not necessarily making the decisions on behalf of the football club in the way that fans would like them to do that. They might be making decisions on behalf of the business entity or whatever. And I think, you know, they get a little bit riled up when you say you're just a temporary custodian of this football club, but any owner is. And we firmly believe that. So, that this whole review is an opportunity to try through doing things like getting independent directors and getting directly elected fan reps uh, onto the board of the club. Uh, it, it's a way of trying to say that, you know, that, that perspective that the fans have got and that perspective of a sporting institution rather than just a business is something that's reflected when they're making those decisions in the boardroom. Uh, and we would always say, why should fans not do that? And there are quite a lot of fans, including some of our members who say, that's absolutely ridiculous because what the hell do you lot know about business? Uh, and we, we know that it's a serious thing and we know that everybody isn't cut out to be a director. But what we, what we do want to do, one of the reasons why we propose these independent non-executives is to say, you know, in common with a lot of other businesses, uh, they are there to make sure that the, the, the objects of the club um, remain as a sporting institution. So in the same way that, you know, uh, for example, on the, in some legal firms you've got uh, who are dedicated to a particular set of standards they have independent non-executive directors that make sure the business always sticks with that so they're like the conscience of the business and that's what we're trying to look for and we do recognize that anybody that's going to be operating at board level needs a certain amount of business expertise as well uh, it's not something that you can just go on and kind of bang the table and shout you know why don't we sign a striker or something like that there's a little there's quite a lot more to it than that so we're trying to get that balance between keeping it as open as possible so that ordinary fans can actually have an influence at that level and can be the person who is on the board, if you like, um, but also make sure that they've got the skill set to do that. 
And some of that comes down to being able to elect people and to have accountability. And none, none of this stuff is stuff that doesn't happen in other businesses. And football always likes to say it's a business like, you know, like any others. But in, in lots of respects, it isn't a business like any others, partly because it's got a captive audience of customers. If you're like, you know, we're not going to go and start supporting Arsenal next week, no matter how bad things get at Spurs. So, you know, but I might go to Tesco. Not in the form there on Martin anyway. Sainsbury's. Well, absolutely. Yeah. So I've got people behind me. But look, that, that, that's probably already bored that the pants off people and, and kind of got too complex. But the basic idea is that what we're trying to do is, is get some kind of system where something like a Super League or something that the majority of fans absolutely don't want to happen. Uh, at a club can't happen and that you know other clubs that's things like you know not changing the colors of the shirt not changing where the club plays you know not selling the stadium or whatever so that's the kind of thing that we're looking at um i've i'm old enough to have seen at least six reviews into football being conducted and this isn't something that just needs to happen at spurs this needs to happen right across the game and all of them have fudged it they've kicked it into the long grass or whatever um and uh i'm more hopeful this time because Tracy Crouch, uh, the MP who's chairing the inquiry, does get it. She understands what the problem with the game is. I think the, the, the current government is quite a populist government and they can see that there's an appetite amongst the people who might vote for them, um, for football clubs to be brought under the control of their fans a little bit more as well. Um, but you've also got things like, you know, the Premier League, which has always been against any sort of regulation, is now saying left to their own devices, the big clubs will destroy even us in the Premier League. So we need some kind of regulation that's going on. So there's been a bit of a change in opinion. Um, will the club embrace it and do it on its own, which is one of your questions? No, it won't. Um, uh, that's why we're saying there needs to be legislation, there needs to be government action. Now, even I don't particularly think that government should necessarily be involved in running sport. But I think there needs to be some involvement from government level to make sure that a minimum set of standards is put down. The clubs have had the chance to, to do that and to embrace that kind of reform and to bring, to bring fans a little bit more on board, and they haven't done it. And if we're going to be honest about it, they don't think that fans have any place doing that. So those fans that are arguing that, who think that they're opposing some of the boards, are actually saying exactly the same thing as people like Daniel Levy and John Henry and Stan Kroenke at Arsenal as well. They're saying fans have no place in the boardroom because we know best and we're saying, actually, that's not the case. There needs to be a bit more of a balance. So I think that something could come out of it, but it means that the government has got to grasp the opportunity and say, we're going to set minimum standards down. Uh, if it's just left to the clubs, the clubs will come up with some fudge and they won't do it because they don't want to concede any power. Exactly right, Martin. And I think the proposal that was put out with the club, from the club in the wake of the European Super League, our concern was that it was basic tokenism without any um, robust, uh, you know, fan influence. So hence us going into a lot more detail as to how we think the structure should work at Tottenham and changing the club advisory panel into a supervisory board and running a two-board tier structure, two-tier board structure. So um, that's very complex. Sorry about that. <laughs> all the detail if people aren't already really bored by that but I mean it, it is important because when we're talking about things like the direction of the club or you know is it more is there too much focus on business or you know is there a director of football or whatever this is some of the stuff these are the decisions that, that are, are made as part of this process if people want to find out more about it we've got the full proposal that we put forward to the government and to the club is on our website and if you want to read the detail of that 
Uh, it's it's there. It's available. It's probably going to be a bit easier than listening to us droning on about it as well. We've had backing from quite a lot of people who have got knowledge of things like corporate governance structures, sporting governance, um, governance in other areas as well. And people who are interested in, in football and the way the sport is run as well. So, you know, it's not just us kind of shouting some idealistic thing you know, sort of in the corner of a room that there's a lot of backing for this. So I'm optimistic that something good might come out of this, but I've been disappointed enough times not to expect that I won't necessarily be disappointed. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And the final government report's out in October, just to wrap that part up. Okay, interesting. Guys, I'm conscious of time. I don't want to spend too much on this particular subject. So just to kind of really sum up on this and finish up on it. I mean, now we know THST submitted proposals for improving supporter representation and club governance at THFC. Trust members voted to call for the club's executive board to resign in the wake of the European Super League debacle. That, as we understand, still remains your position. The club has refused to discuss that or to respond to calls for assurances that the 10 million in fines arising from the attempt to break away from the English Football League will not come from club funds. We just will be interested to know if the current board does show a willingness to properly engage, the option to revisit the remote remains open. How would you describe your relationship with the club at the moment? And could they ever win back your full trust and support? Kat, has it gone yeah. too far or, or can they still win back your trust and support? No, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I, think, I don't really think that our members had any choice but to call for accountability from people who had made a decision that could potentially destroy the English football and the pyramid as we know it. And also, you know, they are directly responsible for over £10 million in fines as well. So I think there needed to be some accountability there. Obviously, the members of the executive board were pretty furious and personally offended uh, by that call. But we've always said you need to show some intent and show some commitment to genuine fan consultation, not tokenism. So... The minute that they start getting around a table with us, discussing strategic issues and actually treating us like stakeholders, we're more than willing to go back to our members and take a second vote. More than willing to do that. Uh, uh, hopefully, Ricky, though, if the new board, if the board is reconstituted along the lines of our governance proposal, which would be with the addition of INEDs and a fan director, or indeed if that is what Tracy Crouch's review calls for in October, it will more or less be a new board anyway. There'll be a new structure there. So that that you know that's also fine. But they they need to start getting around the table, not bringing the shutters down on us. And I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to work out what happened after that call, which is that the shutters well and truly came down. So, yes, for me, for me, we, we can we can get back to a position, but they need to show a damn sight more commitment than they ever have. Anything more to have on that, Martin, for you? Oh, yeah. Not really. I mean, we had a bit of an odd situation where the, 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 the club said to us, we, we refuse to discuss your call for us to resign. And then they come back about a week later and say, are you still calling for us to resign? And we'd say, so are we discussing it or not then? You know, so it's just, <laughs> but, you know, communication's opened up a little bit again at the moment. And, okay. you know, then yeah. we, we could have taken an ultra thing. And I know that some, some you know, there's mm. been a bit of criticism on social media. Well, why are you talking to them again? We, we're talking about changing things. Yeah, the, th so, the thing is, how you can, know, you, how can right, you expect to have any change unless you have any dialogue? How, how can that happen? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yep. the, re the reason that we, we didn't talk to them, first of all, was, was because of this whole thing of that, you know, we'd been in meetings where we'd asked them direct questions and they'd said, we're not having the discussions, which we later found out were discussions they were having behind our back. So if we'd have just gone into a meeting on the same basis as that, most of our members quite rightly would have said, you're a bunch of mugs. 
Um, you know, you need some assurance that the, the, the meeting is going to work properly. So it's trying to rebuild that trust. And I'm afraid it is for the club to do that because we've always been very open. And, it, you know, it's not easy to go into a meeting with these people and tell them that you don't agree with them. Uh, you know, now I'm not complaining about that because that's what we put ourselves up to. We are there to, to put the fans' view forward and to tell the club that they're wrong when we think they're wrong, but also to say you've got it right when you think you've got it right as well. Um, so, you know, the, it, it's, it's a challenge, but we think that we've managed to get it right on that front. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think everybody's yeah. waiting to see what happens in October when, when, the, when the review is, is published. And again, you know, it's something where the survey that Kat mentioned, a lot more people have met. You know, one of the top five things that, that people want us to concentrate on is governance. Now, if you'd have said that two years ago, people would have said, what an ounce? You know, it's like, oh, that sounds a bit dull. What's mm. all that about? So yep. I think people are realising that it's important now, but, you know, there's a way to go. And we, we, we've probably spent far too long talking about that. So no, far. I totally agree. And just to put some context behind it, I mean, the, the, this current would have been here for over 20 years. And guys, remind me, how long have you had the, your role, with, obviously both your role, Cat and Martin, especially, you've been here for well over, tell me how many years we've been with the Trust. Uh, I joined the board in February 2013. Yeah. And Martin was a year after me. So when you put that in context, that's seven years, well, seven, what, nearly eight, eight years. years. And you put that in context, you know, with the current board in place, there's been very little in terms of that having that, you know, real opposition between the two. It's always been a fairly, I mean, the relationship has always been dialogue there. So, I mean, I think fans would want that dialogue to be there. But like you said, it's got to be right and it's got to work for both parties. So um, you tell you right, Martin, we spent far too long on this subject. So we're going to go for a very quick break. When we return, we'll be discussing some of the main topics right now in terms of fans returning to stadiums, uh, ticketing issues. Of course, that's a big one that always comes up that these guys are fantastic and giving us all the answers to. And of course, Harry Kane's future. What does the trust make of that? And also the summer transfer window. I bet Kat can't wait to tell us her thoughts on the summer transfer window. I can see her getting so excited already. So do not go anywhere. We're back after this very, very short break. Phoenix 51 is a powerful employee technology enabling organisations to make data-driven decisions at every stage of the employee journey from hiring through benchmarking and development too. The platform provides detailed analytics on the most important asset in your business, your people, enabling organisations not only to make the correct hiring decisions, but also how to benchmark, train and retain them. Phoenix 51, powering your people decisions through every part of the employee journey. Hello and welcome back to the second part of the last word on Spurs. Listen, European Super League, of course, is going to derail our show. It's derailed the Tottenham fans. We've got the last four or five months, but there you go. There you have it. Right, there's still so much to discuss on this last word on Spurs. We're going to come over to Anthony next because um, Anthony, a new season is fast approaching. And with that, of course, is the challenge of fans returning to stadiums. Now, we've got to say that this situation is changing almost daily. Um, your survey results showed fans wanted the reassurance that measures would be be taken to reduce the chance the chances of transmission of COVID-19 once back in the stadium therefore I mean as I understand you guys would support the requirement to either show proof of vaccination or a negative test to be able to enter the ground um, the sad reality is you guys know as well is that there is no foolproof system to show people honestly report the status of their COVID-19 systems and um, therefore do you believe this process can be managed correctly where Everyone will feel safe returning back to the stadium. And do you back the calls for a return to full capacity from that first Premier League game of the season against Man City? So, yes, I do. I do back a full capacity game. I do. I think it is time that we do go back to full capacity. We can't continue to 
to live like this. And also, I don't think clubs can cope with another season at reduced capacity either financially. Um, but then it does mean that measures do need to be in place because the, the virus isn't going anywhere. It still is dangerous. And um, there are still vulnerable people out there. And yes, I know people are going to be shouting at me, probably say, but these people are vaccinated. Thing with the vaccine is that not not everyone that gets the vaccine is going to get that full coverage. Some people's immune system isn't going to react to this vaccine. And then on top of that, you've got vulnerable people that have other comorbidities, other illnesses. So that puts them more at risk, even with the vaccine. The vaccine does reduce their risk, but there is going to be there is still that risk there. So we have to be mindful of these people that are cautious and going to be anxious coming back to football. So as as a as a community, we need to be looking out for these people. So we need to be respectful of people's spaces. And again, I I think, you know, yes, people are going to say, what's the difference between being vaccinated and not being vaccinated? You can still transmit the virus. Yes, okay, you can still transmit it, but the chances of that is lower because if you've been vaccinated, you're less likely to get serious illness, which then would mean that your viral load is high, which means you're you're likely to pass it on. But if you're not getting that, you're less likely to pass it on. And that's what they mean by the fact that the vaccine reduces transmission. Um, so that's why, you know, you if you prove that you're vaccinated, it's probably as good as proving a negative test. Um, and that's why we probably have both, because I know you're going to ask me in a minute, aren't you, about what, what I think about if it was just the vaccine. Um, the problem with that is that you're you're removing choice from people. So you'd you'd want that choice because I, I do think that people do have valid reasons for maybe not wanting the vaccine. And if you're going to say only you want the vaccine, the vaccine is the only way you can get into the stadium. I think that that's a bit much. I think you're you're removing people's um, chances of engaging with society and going to these large events. Uh, I hope that makes sense anyway. Yeah. I, I also I think it's important. In there quickly yeah, what, please go for it, Martin. What, what's what's been useful and we, we've said this a lot to clubs uh, over the years about the, the the skill set that's in the fan base so what's been useful for us uh, you know because like one of the things that we didn't expect to do when we got involved in the trust was be talking about executive non-executive directors and boards and governance structures and the other one was a global medical pandemic uh, having somebody who's a medical professional on the board as Anthula is is useful so we could go to her and say well okay what what are the dangers and what what are not what what's what are the what are the conversations about where this is going and importantly in terms of what's come up recently we could say to her um you know well what are these what are the medical ethical arguments about vaccines then what's the medical profession's view uh, on this as well uh, and it's it's been useful and i think that I've seen the club getting a bit of stick as well, but the club are in the end going to have to do what the government decides. And without getting too party political, I think it's probably fairly fair to say that the government have not exactly been sure-footed all the way through this crisis. So they're kind of having to, the club's kind of having to change things at the last minute. They're having to do things which they don't necessarily, uh, you know, a, a agree with as well. Um, but I think the key to all of this stuff is, is that people need to... Uh, be able to make an informed choice as well as to have a choice as well uh, and I saw that in response to the tweets that, that you put out you know there's a few questions coming in and we've had a few people over the past week since the news of you know possible um, double vaccination only requirement in line with kind of other big events and nightclubs coming in from October uh, some of the arguments about vaccine passports and whatever have come on as well and there's been a few fairly frank exchanges of views all I would say to people is it, whenever you see anybody saying something just check their timeline 
and find out what their other views are, because there are a lot of people who are anti-vaxxers on principle, who are anti-maskers on principle, who, who are denying that actually there has been a pandemic of, of anything like the severity that we've seen. They were trying to smuggle in arguments around this as well. Uh, and I've probably annoyed a few people listening because there will be some of your listeners that will have those views as well. And we'll have to say, you know what, if you're somebody who's saying there hasn't really been a pandemic, I disagree with you. And I quite strongly disagree with you. And I will challenge that view uh, uh, at every opportunity. So inform yourself about the choices that you're making and inform yourselves about the, the conversations that are going in. But I said that, that what we've tried to do as far as possible is look at the kind of factual side of things and also try and look at the kind of practical issues. So for something like, for example, wearing a mask, personally, I would say to people, if we are going back into a full capacity stadium, I would want people to be wearing masks wherever possible if you're standing near to people as well. If we say to the club, we want you to enforce that, we absolutely know the amount of aggravation that a lot of the stewards would get. And we can completely understand why the club wouldn't necessarily want to do that. And especially if the government aren't saying it's mandatory to wear masks, then it's quite difficult for a football club to say, well, actually, we want to do that. Um, so, you know, it's a really, really complicated argument and it's not being wishy-washy saying that there's arguments on both sides, but people really, really need to check their facts and work out where people are coming from with particular arguments on this. Yeah, that's more to, than add to, what, to add to what Martin said, um, in terms of informed choice, I, I completely agree. I think make sure you know where the information is coming from. It's very easy. Misinformation is everywhere and it travels faster than, than real news. Um, if anyone if anyone wants to ask any questions about the vaccine, I'm happy, you know, people can get in, con in, in touch with me and I can signpost them to the relevant areas for it. Um, so just make sure that you're, you have that informed choice. And I think in terms of answering your question, is this manageable? Would it be manageable in a stadium? I think it, a lot of it's gonna come down to, to people being responsible. And I know that's really difficult with some people to, to be able to do that, but I think it is important because it's not just about you. It's it, people, there's vulnerable people going to be around you. So we have to be mindful of that. And we have to protect people as best we can. Like, I don't know, personally, I would feel awful if I passed COVID on to someone who, who was really, really vulnerable and they ended up in hospital. And I'd like to think everyone would feel that way. Um, so, you know, masks, they're not there to protect you. They're, they're there to protect everyone else, to be honest. Yep. Um, and the same with a negative test. A negative test, yeah, okay, you don't want to get tested. But actually, the negative test protects other people from you potentially passing on this virus so I know a lot of people are against this but actually it is a public health issue and we do need to protect people because I've seen what this virus can do and it's it's not it's not good it isn't yeah so. I, think, I think it's also fair to say something like, I don't want to get too deep into it but I know you were there on the front line correct if I'm wrong I know yeah. you, obviously throughout the pandemic so I mean listen for anyone that's had to go through what you've had to see or you know you would rightly express those views so I totally understand so um, I think just about to finish up on this question just for full clarity on it and Phila, just to stick with you for this one and yeah. um, obviously some fans do feel maybe they're being pushed into a corner and essentially having their freedom taken away from them if it's a requirement to have you know the double vaccine so do you think there will be a compromise reached here where it may be a case of a lateral flow or the double vaccination if you see one coming from yeah I, I honestly really hope so personally I mean I've spoken to colleagues who think the complete opposite and they think yes they should be mandatory because it's a public health issue and the thing you've got with a vaccine is when you when you've got loads of unvaccinated people it makes the risk of mutation a lot higher 
And if the virus mutates to evade the vaccine, then we're back to square one. And that's what a lot of people are worried about. But conversely, I see a lot of ethical issues with just having the vaccine as a requirement because, um, well, for starters, if you to consent to a vaccine, it has to be free from coercion. And if you're putting it as a basis to enter large events, that is coercion. So I'm, ethically, it doesn't quite sit right with me. And I'd like to think that's probably the consensus in a lot of the medical, um, the medical, you know, across the country. Um, so I'd like to think there is a compromise. The issue you've got is how are you going to make sure people have put a negative test? They haven't just, you know, just put gone on the on the on the link on the app and just put a negative test and not actually taken it. Um, and that's I think where where the fall is going to be because to do that you need people to go to to back to test centres and get them done with ID and that's more money for the government. So I think we'll just have to wait and see. But I'd like to think there is a compromise because I do I do sympathise with those people that don't want to have the vaccine and yet feeling like they're being pushed in the corner I wouldn't I don't pers- it doesn't personally sit right with me to be honest there is kind of a simple answer to your last point though Anthony isn't there as well we're at the risk of oversimplifying which is always dangerous in this thing when people are saying well people could fake a lateral flow test or they could lie about it and the answer to that is don't if you're not right you make you look after yourself make sure that you're being truthful about it and protecting everybody else and if everybody yeah. does that then we're okay so just don't lie about it just to get into a football match totally agree oh, i feel like some really heavy stuff isn't it at the moment i mean cat let's come around to you we'll try and lighten the mood as best we can <laughs> that's funny because cat start said cat the start said to me oh i hope i feel better after this i'm not sure we will <laughs> such heavy such heavy subjects but it's stuff, stuff that needs to be covered um cat Always a great subject, ticketing. What can go wrong with ticketing? Oh, what, what a subject ticketing is. Um, we know from your recent statement that you was uh, keen to get hold of, uh, well, you were keen to kind of arrange a ticketing meeting with the club for several weeks. So uh, you were pleased to speak with the head of ticketing, uh, Ian Murphy, and supporter liaison officer Levy Harris on the 14th of July for an online catch-up. Um, the three of you represented the trust on that call. How would you say that went overall, Kat? Yeah, good. I mean, look, ticketing has been consistently our busiest area over the eight or so years that I've been on the trust board. And my sense of myself and Anthony were two hand ticketing. It's the it's the access point, isn't it, for for a fan and you know, entry to the games, obviously. So it's vastly important and it's huge and it's incredibly complex. So I would say that we the meeting was probably overdue. Uh, and that was probably the result of some shutters coming down that we've had. A, a mention of earlier but look it's, it's a positive sign that um ian and levi are great guys and, and we always uh have good productive meetings with them um i think because we've invested a lot of time and effort into understanding the ticketing policy at tottenham and understanding why they've made the decisions and lobbying against certain decisions and lobbying for others over many many years now our meetings with those two in particular are always at a good level uh, of understanding so it was it was good to re-establish the dialogue again um particularly important with a fair few changes coming up uh, on the ticketing front from next season from well the 15th of august onwards um and particularly after no one's really been in there for a season and a half i think a lot of people have forgotten how things operate so we were keen just to make sure that all of the old infrastructure was still in place what was coming in that was new and novel and shiny uh, and what did we need to help communicate better to the wider fan base? We're very aware we're at quite an elevated level of understanding around ticketing and that the average fan on the street really isn't. And so it, there can be a lot to communicate that's quite complex and quite 
technical and it's managing to get that messaging across. So all in all, it was a, it was a good meeting and we thank um, Ian and Levi for their time. Sticking with you, Kat, I mean, are you happy with the club's policy when it comes to seating accommodation requests? I know that's one thing that sometimes comes up amongst the fan base. Um, the relocation. Yeah, the relocation. Are you quite happy with how yeah, that's... Yeah, so, I mean, I think they had um, 9,000 requests to move seats um, over the last two play seasons, over the last two summers, and they successfully managed to move about 7,500. I think that's a, a pretty good success rate. Last summer, they had to do it manually, so they'd literally phone people up uh, and say, where did you want to move to? And then have to look manually to see what seats were available. Because just uh, for the sake of your listeners, uh, it's not, oh, uh, any seat that isn't a season ticket seat is available. They need to keep a spread at different in different areas and at different price levels for one hots for members. Otherwise, they'd all be on the club's back as well. If when they went on sale to one hots for members, they were only in certain areas and at certain price bands. So the club always has to wait until the season ticket renewal window has shut to see what their inventory is and to see what's available. Um, and then they will be limited. There'll be finite choices. So if 7,000 of those 9,000 all wanted to move into the future-proof for safe standing area at the front of the South, it ain't going to work because there aren't 7,000 seats in there and there certainly aren't 7,000 available seats. So I think people need a degree of pragmatism when they're looking to move, you're not always going to get your first choice. But what they have done last this summer, just gone, and what they'll roll out for future summers is um, an interactive map. So basically, you'll be given a time to log on. It will show all the available seats, and then you can decide where you want to move. And I think that will be a much smoother process than the ticket office staff having to phone people up and try and do it manually. And they've committed to do that each summer. But again, obviously, the volume of seats available for move will depend on the renewal volume of season tickets and a few other factors as well. But I think that they've been extremely accommodating. They realise that we've moved into a, a brand new stadium that people were picking off plan, essentially. They didn't know what the people around them were going to be like, what the view was going to be like. They really didn't have much of an idea when they first selected those seats. So there is going to be a degree of migration over the first few seasons in any new stadium, I think. You're never going to hit it bang on right. Uh, the minute that you move in there. So they, they're keen to make sure that their customers are happy. Uh, it gives them less grief and hopefully it will generate a better atmosphere. So yes, I'm, I'm okay with their policy. Sticking with you, Kat, also, I mean, there's been talk, and again, I think you guys raised in your latest statement that the cover moving potentially into the introduction of a fully digital ticketing system from August, whereby the stadium access cards will no longer be in use instead of match tickets will be activated within Google and Apple wallets on smartphones. I think you stressed the need for the club to fully articulate how that ticketing system is going to work and, you know, where fans should have any direct concerns. Obviously, this is where you guys kind of come in. Um, do you see that implementation going ahead or is there still quite a... No, absolutely. Yep. So um, it will be rolled out from the City game. So right. this is happening like now, basically. I should just say uh, Tottenham aren't alone in moving to a fully digital ticketing system. Uh, it will become commonplace across the Premier League. I know Liverpool are doing it also this summer and a couple of other clubs as well. It's not a massive departure from what we were doing when we were last uh, going into the stadium regularly. Uh, then you had a stadium access card, but you also had an app. And if you had downloaded the app, your match ticket would be in there. So you could access that way. So all it is, is instead of the Spurs app, it will go into a Google or an Apple wallet. Uh, as happens with airline tickets, as happens with train tickets. If we look at the way of the world, we're all moving into mobile, digital, near-field communications, near-field technology. So I, I don't feel that football is out of step with this. It would be out of step if it kept posting 
paper tickets out to people which aren't environmentally friendly and increase touting. Now, the, I think the main concerns for people here are if my phone runs out of battery, what do I do? You go to the ticket office and talk to them. So just don't turn up a minute before kickoff. Just get there in time. If you know your battery's dead, go to the ticket office. There'll still be staff there to help you. If you don't have a smartphone, you make contact with them in advance. They will deal with you on a case-by-case -case basis. There are solutions and workarounds. They're not going to exclude people from the stadium because they can't get in on an Apple or a Google you know, wallet or, or mobile ticketing. Uh, if you're a junior, so if you're under 18, they'll still issue you with an access card. So you'll still have your card to get in. So people, please don't be worried about this. It's the way that the world is going and they're not going to leave you stranded because you forgot to charge up you know, your, your iPhone 11 the night before. Um, I think, um, yeah, so uh, the, one of the main concerns that we've been hearing from fans around this also is how do I then, what impact does this have on me giving my ticket to my mate? If I can't get to a game last minute, how does this work? Because I can't now hand an access card over or, you know, uh, my mate's daughter can't go and I want to go with him. What, what do I do? There's a thing called ticket share. So if you go, if you Google Ask Spurs, that is Tottenham's FAQ site, basically. Uh, and then you put in ticket share. It will tell you how to create a free account for any of your mates or any of your family. You don't have to pay a thing for it. Set up a free ticket in account for them. And then it will talk you through step by step how you move your ticket for a game to that nominated person. And that's how you do it. And then that will either appear in a, on their mobile phone or they'll send them a print at home ticket or they'll do something. So anyway, you can move your ticket on. Don't be scared about that. Embrace this, guys. It's the future. Final question, Kat, into the ticketing, just in terms of just club atmosphere. Um, there's been talk about it was agreed to maybe revisit, revisit the idea of designing blocks for fans wanting to create a lively atmosphere for the cup games next season. Do you think that's how that could be revisited and implemented ahead of the new season? Yeah, I, I mean, this, again, connects back into ticketing. Uh, there's a thing called the Gold uh, Auto Cup Scheme, uh, which basically means if you sign up to that, you're automatically paying to go to every home cup game. And in order for um, them to be able to create designated blocks where maybe you could call them singing blocks or atmosphere blocks, we'd need to decouple the cup games from the gold scheme, if that makes sense. Because if people are on the gold scheme, they're buying their own seat. So then nobody can move around because you're committing yourself to that seat. So this would depend on certainly games for the Europa Conference League, if we qualify, being decoupled from that gold auto cup scheme. Uh, in which case that would leave people with a free choice as to where they wanted to purchase their seats for those games. And then if the club did designate a couple of blocks and publicise that, as these are the atmosphere areas, people would have a free choice to move in there without being tied to their season ticket seat. So it depends on a board decision to decouple the Europa Conference League from, from the gold scheme. And uh, it then depends on the club deciding to publicise blocks and which blocks they're going to be and how that's practically going to work. Uh, if that works, then there's a potential they could try and do that for League Cup and FA Cup. But again, it's all to do with the decoupling from the gold scheme. So we'll see where that sits with the board because they'll need to make that decision. Perfect. I want to say that's the serious stuff out of the way, but I've got to talk about Harry Kane's future very quickly. Sorry, Martin. So sorry. We've got to come to you, Martin, on it because um, obviously, although this isn't a, a THST trust issue, um, we have to ask your thoughts given the future of Harry Kane. You know, been at the club since 11 years old, poster boy of the football club. His future currently up in the air, I think it's best to put it at the moment. We've got a season starting in a couple of weeks' time. We've been here before with the likes of Berbatov, um, the, the likes of Modric, where it can potentially cloud and 
override the start to a season. Uh, where are you on the Harry Kane dilemma we find ourselves in? Although Harry hasn't come out publicly, I think it's widespread knowledge it seems that Harry would like to move away from Tottenham. By all accounts, it seems that he wants to go the right way because Harry is that kind of gentleman, he's that kind of guy. Just the initial thoughts on that for you, Martin. I talk as a fan, really. I mean, we've got one of the two best strikers in the world at our club, so why would you want to lose him? Um, I hope that we we can manage to, to keep hold of him. Uh, he's a great player to watch. He's a, he's a credit to the club. Uh, he's one of our own, as we sing, and I think that's, uh, that's really important for us. Uh, and it's interesting that you mentioned Berbatov, because I think, you know, uh, the, the story is that, that Harry, if he leaves, wants to go to City, and City want Harry. Um, uh, and City get what they want because they're owned by a country. Um, well, when Berbatov went to Man United and he helped them win the league, I still know a lot of Man United fans who say, yeah, he wasn't that good, really. Uh, and so, you know, Harry goes to City uh, and they, you know, they're expected to win things, aren't they? So, you know, is it a big deal? Stays at Spurs, you know, breaks Jimmy Greaves' goal-scoring record, helps us lift a trophy. If you want to be a legend, then that's it. And I kind of get the argument about the club has got to show ambition as well, but also, you know, there's, there's maybe been bad football decisions made and all the rest of it, but also the, the players that have been on the pitch have also not won the trophies as well. So I, I do get slightly annoyed with this kind of, I need to move on to win something. Bit. But, you know, the bottom line is, yeah, yeah, yeah. anybody who's saying it will be good for him to go, mm. I think is nuts. Him and Lewandowski are the two best strikers in world football. Yeah, right? He plays Act. for us. Fact. Yeah. Yep. I totally agree. And uh, what I've got to say, I mean, Antonio, I come around to you. I mean, Kane has been one of those players that has had the opportunity to win a Champions League, uh, win a League Cup. Dare I say, even win the Premier League on a couple of occasions. So, I, I do find it. Although we're not in that position at the moment, we feel probably where we can compete for a Premier League. And obviously, we're not in the Champions League. We're in the Europa Conference League, as um, as glamorous as I try and make that sound. For you, for Harry, I mean, I, I think he'd be looking at this summer, thinking to himself, okay, if I am going to stay, I want to see that ambition from the club. At the moment. I think it's fair to say that it's it's testing so far. What do you think Harry's thinking at the moment? Is that do you reckon he will stay? Will he be a Spurs player by the end of this summer transfer window? I I honestly don't know which way it could go. I mean, some people are saying, are we are we currently spending the the cane money? I mean, I, ultimately, it isn't. I think it is in Levy's court. I think he can turn around and say, no, you you can't go. I don't know if Man City would pay the asking price. To be honest, but equally, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say, obviously, I wouldn't say it's good for him to go, but equally, I couldn't begrudge him for wanting to leave. The ambition we show and the way we've gone downhill in the last couple of years, I wouldn't begrudge him. I think we were having a conversation about this over dinner, and I think Kat, Kat said, if Harry Kane turned up at her door and said, you know, give me a reason to stay, Kat said, you know, I, I can't give you a reason. What What is the reason? So, you know, not that's obviously the complete opposite of us saying we want we don't want him to leave of course we don't but can we really begrudge him leaving I don't know I think I think it's 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 just one of those things isn't it I think I we'd obviously love him to stay no one no Spurs fan is going to say yes he can go I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in what I said was just before I get a hate mail um if Harry Kane turned up at my door mm. and said cat look me in the eye and tell me that staying at Tottenham is the right choice for my career right now, I would struggle. 
Yeah. Do you know what? Listen, no. his, his brother. No, he's going to send me hate mail. The jock cat. Do you know, but the thing, <laughs> is, the, the, the thing is, cat. His brother is his agent, and he's a Tottenham fan, and all his and all his family's in ticket holders, and they're looking for the best interest of the, of him. And I've got to be honest with you. I host this show. I've hosted this show for what four or five years. As a Spurs fan that I am, you know. Week in, week out, I love this football club. I think any Spurs fan, rational Spurs fan, would struggle to give Harry a reason if Man City come knocking with what they can offer him to say, Harry, stay around for the Europa Conference League. We're going to have a great time. You know, I've got to be honest with you, I think it's going to be very tricky to persuade Harry to do that. And again, what Harry would have wanted to see this summer is some ambition. Yes, there's still a summer transfer window open. Yes, Spurs can make improvements to the squad. But ultimately, I mean, again, we've got to be honest with you, we're two weeks away from the season to start. I know many fans are at the moment feeling frustrated by the lack of activity and what Spurs needed to do in this summer window. I'm conscious that we're, we're really running out of time. Martin, very quickly, just on the summer transfer window for you, um, your thoughts on it so far? There is time to go, of course. Are we, in, are we any closer to solving this painful rebuild that we keep on discussing for what, the last 18 months or so? When will, when will this rebuild end? <laughs> It looks like they've got the idea that they, they need the, the rebuild. And I wish they'd listened to the bloke that said it two years ago, to be honest. But that's kind of crying over spilt milk, isn't it, as well? Yep. Uh, only Man United have done any real business in the Premier League. Mm, yep. uh, not, not many people have done business. But it, it's back to this thing, isn't it? We seem to have identified people. And I agree that it's not football manager. So you can't just go out and sign like, you know, a load of new players and see how that works out. But equally, we do seem to make much harder work of our transfers and pretty much everybody else. Considering how clever everybody involved at the senior level of the club is, it does surprise you a little bit. So, uh, you know, we'll have to see. It, it's, it's not, there's not a lot of change so far, but we seem to be having the right conversations. I guess that's about as optimistic as you can get. Yeah, I guess there's the transfer window is still open, so so much can happen in the next week or two. We've got some big guests coming on to discuss that summer transfer window. Right, guys, there's one key question I want to ask you. Before I do, I'm literally going to do quick fire listener questions, just three or four before um, we come on to the main question. Let's come first to uh, you, Kat. This one feels relevant. Uh, Kat, this is from Ben Hodson, Ben88 Spurs, who says, can you do anything to help us get the first two home cup games back as part of our season tickets taken away for no logical reason apart from money? Thanks. Yeah, if Ben gives me five minutes, I'll just get that sorted for him. Uh, in fairness, we're totally behind uh, Ben. Uh, it's something that we've been lobbying for. It, it, it's in our survey every year. It's always about 80% of people agree that they would like those vouchers returning. And I think we started off, I mean, Martin had a season ticket before me. But there were about six vouchers at first. Yeah, they were a load. And they three and they've, they've gradually eroded it. Yeah, eroded down to two. And the reason that they, they gave us for removing them was so that they could offer a more competitive European like group stage pack. And at first that worked out really well. That first season when we were over at Wembley, we got three Champions League games for like 50 quid or something ridiculous. Yeah, uh, looking back now, I mean, that was a party, wasn't it? Yeah. That was amazing. And yeah. that was the rationale yeah. for removing those vouchers. And yeah. also there was never a monetary value attached to them. And there was a lot of grief that the club did get for them. But the problem is that the package has been eroded and eroded and eroded. So yes, I think... Um, Something they could have done this season as a sign of, of goodwill and good gesture after all we've done to support the club over the past 18 months would have been to implement the return of those two vouchers. So uh, I'm with you, Ben. OK, one final one for you, Kat. This is from Carl Urban Soccer. who says, can anything be done about the announcement of live TV matches? For example, we play Man United on Saturday the 30th of October, yet the ticket window is August the 24th. Yeah. More than likely to be moved to Sunday. However, fans will probably have to buy tickets before the announcement is made for live matches. Yeah, they will. Now, I lead the broadcast work for the Football Sports Association, so I'm the person who goes into bat over things like televised games um, throughout the whole of the uh, behind-closed-doors period. 
Um, there's, a, there's a really complex answer to this. And I know that you're short on time, so I won't bore people with it. But basically, we are lobbying and continue to lobby for a better, uh, more consideration for match-going fans, basically, and for better alignment between the broadcast pick announcements and the on-sale dates. Um, the short answer here is that, as obviously, as season ticket holders, uh, we have to buy 19 games effectively blind because they're all going to get moved around. So that's not ideal for the season ticket holder. I'm taking it that, what was the gentleman's name? Carl. Uh, Carl, yeah, it was Carl. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm gathering by that that Carl's a one hotspur member. The only kind of saving grace of that is that the club does have a returns policy. Uh, so if he contacts the ticket office, uh, as long as it's seven days out from the game, they will refund him in full. So if he buys for the City game and they move it to a time that he can't go, he can get all his money back. That's the only good thing. But I totally agree. It's all to do with the pick process uh, between BT Sport, Amazon Sky and the Premier League. And then it's all to do with the individual clubs own on sale ticketing process and to yep. give enough time to move through all those windows and to give enough time for ticket exchange to open, etc. They yep. can't leave it to like five weeks out. The broadcasters basically commit to announce within six weeks and that's it. And that's a very short time scale. So um, that's that. But if you want... To get me back on to talk about forecast, and we're happy to do that. At some we'll point. arrange that, Kat. Don't you worry. We'll arrange it. Don't you worry. Uh, right. We're going to come to Anthony very quickly on this one. This is from Will Donaldson at Will underscore Donaldson, who says, "Will there be restrictions on fans from the states in brackets and other non-British countries on being able to attend games?" I mean, at the moment, it very much depends on the government's choices. I don't know about America in terms of can they come over here. I know in America, they're currently telling them not to come here because we are COVID ridden currently. So I think it very much depends on travel restrictions rather than them, rather than the club. It's not the club. It wouldn't be up to the club to, to make that decision. It's definitely a government led decision. Um, so I think he just just keep an eye on on the gov- on his government website, you know, to just check to see what the travel restrictions are going to be like. Okay, fantastic. And Martin, final listener question to you. This is from Gareth Wilson at the Private Pass One, who says, "Do you feel confident that our voice, and I presume he means supporters and the THSC as well, has gained impact post the Super League debacle and in the ever evolving landscape of money equaling success? How do we strike the correct balance?" That's a simple question to run up, round up, isn't it? Yeah, how long have you got? Um, I think it was gaining impact before the Super League because we got the £30 away tickets as a result of supporter campaigning. We got a return to uh, some form of safe standing because of supporter campaigning. Uh, We managed to get the club to rethink its attitude on furlough as a result of supporter campaigning. Uh, We managed to, uh, because of supporter campaigning, get the European Super League decision reversed. Uh, There's now a government fan leverage review, which we went on at great length about earlier on, uh, which is potentially going to embed supporters' voices uh, uh, in the running of the game. And there's been some explicit commitments from both the MP chair in it and the Secretary of State for Sport, which said that fans need to have more of a voice in their football club. So uh, I'm confident that there could be better times ahead, but also that it is a fact that supporters raising their voice has made a difference. Uh, and I will argue with anybody that says it hasn't. And I'm sure I'm going to have to. <laughs> You will, Martin, part of that role. Right, guys, we're going to finish up with this question. I promise you, like I say, final minute here. Right, we're going to start with you, M. Fuller. Um, what are your hopes and aspirations ahead of the new season and what should be our minimum expectation as supporters? I'll put supporters there, guys. I'm very kind. Supporters on the pitch. Better football? It's <laughs> I, football. I obviously, Taking the I test hat off. What the expectation would be. I mean, I'd love to win a trophy, to be honest, but better, you know, to start with, better football than when we, what we've been seeing, I would say. <laughs> okay. Nuno Ball, here we come. Kat, let's come around yeah. to you. 
for you, Kat, what, what's the expectation for you as a fan? Uh, I'm right. So my expectations are pretty low, as, as you probably gathered at the start of this. What has happened to us here? What has happened to us here? It's breaking news, Ricky. I can't see us challenging for the title. And I, I'm really sorry to say that. Well, that's it, Kat. I've just cancelled my membership on that basis. <laughs> I know. And top four feels like it might be a bit of a stretch. So for me, I just want to start enjoying football again feeling that connection and a bit of a sense of pride. Yeah. And if they could do the double over Arsenal and Chelsea and obviously smash West Ham because they're just irritating and boring me now, then yeah. that would probably be job done for me. I'd be happy with that. Let's finish top team in London. I like that. I like that. I like that. Martin, final casting vote with you. As, you know, as well, the... One of my loops has just sent me a message saying that we've agreed a fee for Christian Romero. So £43 million. So on that basis, I think we're going to win a lot. Um, I want to, um, I'd just like to start enjoying it again, you know. I'd like to have a little bit of that feeling that I had in that last season at White Hart Lane uh, when the football was great and there was a feeling of togetherness. What what do I expect? What do I expect at the start of every season? I'd like to win something. But but more than ever this year, uh, and it's not the old kind of glory v success argument, but I just want to start enjoying and feeling proud of my football club again. Uh, and at the moment, I don't enjoy it and I don't feel particularly proud of them. I feel proud of the fans and I feel proud of our traditions. But what we are at the moment, I think we're losing our way. Um, so I want to I want to see us get back on track a little bit. Rediscover the DNA, I think the chairman said. Yep, I agree. Listen, let's hope, guys, over the course of these next few months, we're going to rediscover that DNA. I'm hoping, guys, we can arrange to have you back on. Maybe during the next international break would be great. Maybe, like I say, hopefully by then, Spurs will be top of the league. I think as we was by the previous one, and uh, we'll be flying. Just hope it doesn't end the way the previous one did. But fingers <laughs> crossed, all good things to come. Let me thank our wonderful panel for this one. Anthony, thank you ever so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you for having me. It's been oh, great. It's been great. Now we've got you on for the uh, coming games ahead of the new season, so looking forward to that. Kat, thank you ever so much as always. Really love your insight into the summer transfer window as always. We're looking forward to even more. <laughs> You're so cheesy. Thank you very much, Ricky, and good to see you. Oh, see, you. See you looking like you've had some sleep, which is good. We're getting easier. It's getting easier now. We're coming through the survival mode, which is fantastic. Thanks to my wonderful wife, who's been uh, massively helping me do that, I've got to say. Um, Martin, thank you as always. We're over time as usual, but I can't thank you enough. And I say some big mumps lay ahead now. So fingers crossed uh, we start seeing the Tottenham back, that DNA that we talk about that made us fall in love with this football club. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Come on, you Spurs. I love it. There you go. The wonderful Tottenham Arsenal Supporters Trust on this show. Let me just say, guys, as always, most importantly, keep safe, keep well. And as always, come on, you Spurs. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.